Okay, hello and welcome to our special focus recovery from relapse meeting. It's Tuesday, the 31st of January, 2023, and our speaker today is Lucy B. Lucy was born in San Francisco, but now lives in Los Angeles, and she first came to OA in 2006. So Lucy, we'd love to hear you. Noel, thank you so much. I hope I'm pronouncing your name wrong. I'm, I'm not sure, but um, uh, my name is Lucy B. Uh, as Noel said, I first came in in 2006, though I put that down, but it's not precisely accurate. I hope I said I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I actually came once in 1988. So if you do the math, I came once in 1988. I came back in 2006. I then got abstinent in 2008. So my story is a story of relapse. And it is a story of somebody who, not somebody, me, who took a long time. Um, one of my great assets of character is that I am very willful. Uh, there's another word for that, stubborn. So, you know, in the Overeaters Anonymous 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, it tells us that many of our assets become defects of character. As a child, I would, had to be extremely self-sufficient, and I learned to take care of myself about the age of six. So I kind of was like, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I didn't need your help. I didn't need God's help. I was raised uh, Catholic. It's a religion I have enormous respect for. Uh, but because I'm 67, I was really, um, raised in the old Catholic way uh, by, um, well, I'm not going to tell you what, what nationality they are, but by nuns. And um, I took that to mean that I was a sinner and God hated me. That is not what the Catholic Church teaches. Uh, it is an outside issue, but I'm just talking about what happened to me. Uh, I became, as I said, very, very self-sufficient. I just want to talk about the numbers so I don't forget. Um, so I first stopped by in 1988, did my drive-through. Then in 2006, I came back. Um, it Two years of relapse, I would get 30, I would get 60. I think once I almost hit nine months. I don't remember how many times I relapsed. Probably four. four. Five. Uh, I wasn't ready to work the program. I still wanted to do it my way. Um, I have been a size six. I have been a size 16. That's the range I work in. I have been at this height, which is almost five, seven. I don't know what that is in the UK. I apologize. But, um, and again, I don't know stone from pounds, but um, I've been 125. I've been over 170 at this particular weight. I started dieting about the age of 10. I became abstinent uh, 15 years ago, and I'm 67, so I became abstinent at 52. So I dieted for 42 years, um, heavily dieted. And what I want to tell you is that I felt more shame than I can possibly express for 42 years. And the only people I can express it to are the people in this room, uh, particularly if you're in relapse. I don't think there is any way to overstate the amount of self-hatred that I, that I found. I'm very lucky that I'm not suicidal because I think I would have 
not gotten out of bed. And there were days I did not get out of bed. Um, okay, so I'll start at the beginning. Uh, first of all, I want to welcome everybody. It's a great joy for me to be in an international meeting. I uh, grew up overseas in Southeast Asia. I have many, many friends in the UK. I travel a lot. So for me, sometimes people ask me why I travel so much. And, you know, I thought about it and I thought, hmm, I, I think it's because I like to have friends everywhere and it's how I feel safe. Um, if you're in OA and you can get to a Zoom meeting, you can be safe. If you have old copies of Lifeline, which is our old journals of recovery we used to have, they've since gone out of print. I cannot tell you how many lifelines have saved me on a plane. I've got my little lifeline before a meal in my purse. I've got my little lifeline. I have on my phone three different um, uh, meditation apps. I have the big book without the stories on my. So there's no way that I nowhere that I can go that I'm not I'm not safe. I can't reach somebody. Uh, even if I can't get an internet connection, I usually have some literature with me. Um, not always. And I always have um, the memory of you guys. I always have that you're here. If you're in relapse, I know how you're feeling. I know the hopelessness. When I came in, I was not one of those people who went, yay, oh, way, I feel so at home. I was like, I don't like these people. They don't have a job. I'm sitting in the back of the room. Obviously, they don't have a job because they are come to a meeting at one o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know what the heck they're doing. I'm not interested in being a part. I have friends. These people obviously don't have friends because they're all chatting with you. I was not a cheerleader for OA. I was the opposite. Um, so I'm trying to think, oh, my abstinence is breakfast, lunch, dinner, and an optional snack. If you are in relapse, I really encourage you to get an easy abstinence. I've sponsored people, their abstinence, I can't even figure out, you know, I've got two of these and three of these, and I can never eat again. And you know, just keep your abstinence easy. Set yourself up for success. You know, don't say I can never eat cookies again, or I mean, say whatever you want. It's none of my business, but it, 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 you know, I'll have sponsees come to me and they said, on my abstinence list, I'm putting no chips, no cookies, no this, no that. Sorry if I'm talking about food, somebody just tell me to stop. And I'm like, why don't we just do this? Why don't we just have three meals a day and two optional snacks, okay? or one, which sounds better to you. And you can put on your food list, the foods that you avoid, but let's just keep it easy so we can all breathe and so we can be successful in a way. We can set that up. Um, I'll tell you how I work my program. Um, when I finally got abstinent, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, I went to five meetings a week in person and I had five commitments. When my sponsor told me to get five commitments, I didn't know what a commitment was. I just came in late and left early. I had no idea. She told me never to leave early, which I'm doing today. And I truly, truly, truly apologize. I did not know the meeting was 90 minutes and I have a, a important vet appointment uh, for surgery and it's, it's about an hour away. So I need to do that. And the dog is totally fine. It's a routine procedure. Thank you. Um, come early, leave late talk to people. Um, I do a morning meditation and reading every morning this morning, since it's early here in LA at 6am, it was quick. Um, I tell my sponsees, you can do one in two minutes. You can do one reading in a reader like for today. It's a reader I love. One reading in for today, 10 things you're grateful for, one minute meditation. 
I do a lot more now because I love it and because it sets me up for a good day. I try to do nothing till I do that. If, if I do something before I do a morning meditation, I'm going to bark at you or I'm going to get mad because my husband spilled the tea, spilled the coffee. I'm going to send a stupid email to somebody. I'm going to get caught up in my ego. My ego is enormous, enormous. And it says in the big book, our egos must be smashed. It doesn't say picked apart little by little. It says smashed. Let me tell you how bad my ego is. On this meeting, I'm like, how come there's so many Lucy's? Lucy's an unusual name. No, rejoice. I got all these people. We all got the same name. We're like in a Lucy club. Isn't that great? That's fantastic. It's wonderful. And we're all over the world sharing recovery and sharing our pain because the, the, the sadness of this program is we suffer alone. In Los Angeles, and I don't know the way it, it, it is elsewhere, um, part of what happened when we went into COVID lockdown is people didn't come back to meetings. I think this is a disaster in my experience for overeaters and for anorexics and everybody else who suffers from, from what I call, um, I call them strange food behaviors with, in me. I spit, I eat at night, I do bizarre things with food. Uh, because we need each other, you know, so if all we can do is zoom fantastic isn't zoom an amazing tool, but we need to be together. You know, it says that in the big book, nothing over and over and over and over again, and in the um, Alcoholics Anonymous 12 steps and 12 traditions, which we do use in this program, in the 12th step that nothing substitutes for one alcoholic talking to another, they can't say that enough. We can do it on zoom, it works brilliantly. But if you can go to in, um, in-person meetings as well without endangering your health easily, please do so. I, I do both, obviously, and, and I think it's it's fantastic, and, and thank you. Okay, so I grew up in San Francisco in a very well-to-do family, nice, um, very Irish kind of German family. And, uh, you know, what I didn't know is that there was rampant compulsive overeating on my mother's side, also restricting also anorexia. So we have a whole, we have a whole smorgasbord, a whole buffet of, of eating behaviors. Um, I grew up with, with a mother that was a very good cook. My grandmother was, cooking was very big in our house. You know, have this, and anything wrong, would you, would you like a cookie? You better have a snack, have some cheese and crackers. How about if I make this? Everything was, my mother was wonderful at birthdays. You know, we had, what kind of cake do you want? We would have the cake and it would have seven layers and we'd have this. And and um, and my grandmother lived, Lucy, <laughs> lived very nearby. She lived four blocks away and my cousins lived four blocks away. And then when I was six years old, my father decided that uh, he was tired of his job. It was meaningless to him and he wanted to go do humanitarian work. And we moved to Southeast Asia in the 60s. And uh, I rapidly became the only uh, white child in my grade. When I was six, there was 250 people in my grade. Uh, there was maybe 10 white kids in my school. There was nobody my age, nobody female in my neighborhood. Um, I had nobody to talk to, nobody to play with. And I retreated into one of what I think is the great joys of the compulsive overeater, which is fantasy. And thank God I did because I saved my life. My life was dangerous. I asked my mother once, um, why didn't I 
spend the night in my bedroom. She said, oh, I wouldn't. You were robbed constantly because we were in the middle of the jungle. So they think what happened is uh, they would drug me by various ways and come into to the room. Um, I had 42 bug bites on each leg. I contracted rheumatic fever. Um, my parents were um, in many ways extraordinary parents, but they were very much like you're fine. So my mother just told me I was fine and go to school. Finally, I refused. I said, I'm too sick. You need to go get a doctor. And that was a lot of the way it was. Um, the person who asked me to speak here, Rita, you know, she was talking about growing up in Northern Ireland and the troubles. And of course, I don't have any experience of that at all, uh, of growing up with the kind of bombing she experienced. But, you know, my parents' idea of, of a holiday was we would go into Afghanistan. We would walk across the border of Pakistan into Afghanistan. Uh, I would be left alone in India. Um, I would uh, be taken to uh, kibbutzes in northern Israel, uh, right where the bombing is. They wanted us to experience the world very young. And so I was often in war zones. And I was terrified, terrified. I was terrified uh, because I had no friends. Nobody would speak to me, but I could read and I could eat. And what I did uh, is I would read all the, the penguin books. I would read all the stories from the UK because we were in a British Commonwealth country. So I would read the famous five and the secret seven. I, I would read Enid Blyton and I would go into a complete fantasy. And in that fantasy, I was having high tea and we were having, I don't want to talk about food, but whatever you have at high tea, little sandwiches and whatever else. And I, I could live there. And I never wanted to come out of that world. You know, I always said I'd be the perfect opiate addict. I, I tried opiates once. They had a hard time getting me off of it. But fortunately, that was only once when I was 19. But I just wanted to be in a fantasy. And food was part of that. You know, it was, I would start cooking for my dad when he came home from work. And I had this little, in the United States, we had this famous little brand called Betty Crocker. And I had this little Betty Crocker cookbook and I would make these cookies out of these, you know, every day was a different cookie. And, and I would, you know, cook for my dad. If I wanted to get something from him, like go see a boyfriend when I was a teenager, I would make these huge elaborate dinners. And I became a very, um, uh, a very devoted ballet dancer in the, um, and I was tested by, you know, these people would come out from London and we would get tested and I would do well. And the next year I'd figure, fuck it, excuse me for swearing. And then I wouldn't, you know, do anything and I would fail. And, you know, but I, I was very serious. And so, you know, I was a serious ballet dancer and around 10 years old, they started telling me I was too large. You're very talented, but you're too large. You're very, well, I was a normal body size for a 10 year old girl, but I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, thin you know that that body type has changed a little bit in dance but it's still in in kind of high level ballet still there's a lot of pressure a friend of mine in OA right now has a daughter who's a very serious ballet dancer actually at the same company that I studied at and um they're putting pressure on her even though she's totally normal um actually it's the other students but so I learned okay I'm different and then my mom was sort of always on a diet being compulsive overeater so I get home to the United States when I'm nine and at this point i am an asian child you know i don't understand i've not seen television basically for three years i've not had pasteurized milk for three years i've i don't know the tv shows to watch i don't know how to dress 
I'm alone. I'm lonely. And for me, my disease is, is a disease of loneliness. Uh, it's a disease of let me walk in my pantry. I'm just going to have one nut. And then four hours later, literally I'll walk out of the pantry. I'll just pull up a chair. Um, so then I, you know, hit puberty. And for me, puberty was about being accepted by others, particularly men. And since I couldn't be accepted because I was too large, people would say stuff, you're so pretty, if only. You're so interesting looking, if only. Oh, you're pleasingly plump. You know, there was that word. I was shopping in the kind of larger departments and my mother would come in and say, oh, you know, she's very hippie and she's at, oh, I'm a perfectly normal body size right now. I'm a size 10, which is a size, I believe, 12 in the UK. Um, I just don't buy French clothes because God only knows what size I am in those. But um, I'm at like a totally normal body size at the age of 67. I am extremely healthy and I only do exercise that I like. And I don't pay too much money to go to gyms that make me feel like crap and bankrupt me. Um, so basically I became a performer, uh, because, you know, I fought with my weight for so long dancing when I became a performer, the same thing happened, you know, Oh, you lost that job. They said you were a little, you know, meaning you're a little big. So in my world, and, and I think this is very important to, to my story in my word world, it was completely binary. I was overweight. Therefore I was bad. If I would be thin, I would be good. And I can't stress that enough because that was the rule in my head. It was absolutely the rule. It was like your parents tell you before you cross the street, look left, look right. I was like too big, bad. There was no spiritual, there was no, uh, sorry, that was my dogs. There's, there's no self-love. There's no self-acceptance. There was no, in this religion that I grew up in, there was no forgiveness for my, my sins. I thought I was imperfect. And so my reaction was, if I'm imperfect, let's go for broke. Let's fail school. Let's do drugs. Let's drink. Let's go to strip bars in Washington, D.C. at two o'clock in the morning. Let's eat everything. I ended up going to boarding school. Boarding school is a fantastic place if you've got a compulsive eating disorder, because the biggest thing you can do there, the most exciting thing you can do is go out to eat. So we would eat, you know, three people's lunch or I would go into the kitchen and I they would have these gigantic things of, of dessert you know, it wasn't this big, it was that big. And we would just plow our way, you know, and we would have contests who could eat the most at our break. So this went on for many, many, many years. And um, I was going to see a quote unquote life coach. And he said, you know, I think you and my wife, you know, need to stop by this meeting. And I went to this meeting in the Santa Monica Venice area, which is on the beach here in Los Angeles. And I thought, oh my God, all these people are talking about food. I, I just makes me want to go eat. And I don't like the way they look anyway. So I left. I came back 18 years later. I came back because I had been to see, uh, at, the, at the advice of my very best friend who was in OA, I had been to see a therapist and she said, you know, um, she was 30 plus years abstinent in OA. She said, I think you need to go to a meeting. And my idea of needing to go to a meeting is it would be convenient. 
it would be like a drive-through bank, Brent bank or, or McDonald's. You would drive through, you would see one on a corner and you'd go to an OA meeting. We all know it's not convenient to go to OA. We have to do what's inconvenient. And that's a big part of service. We have to do what's inconvenient. I have, my husband said, why are you getting up so early? I have to do what's inconvenient or do I, I do not stay abstinent. Mm -hmm. I have 15 years of abstinence. There is no question in my mind. If I don't go to OA, I will relapse. There is no question. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next month. It will happen. It, it will happen. You know, I am free from compulsive overeating. I'm not free from peculiar food behaviors. I will have this, this, this condition, this disease, whatever you want to call it for the rest of my life. Um, I, I know that I'm trying to get rid of chocolate right now in my diet. I seem to be eating chocolate at night, which keeps me up. So I'm going to talk to my sponsor today and, and, and work on that. And is there anything wrong with chocolate? No, not at all. But it doesn't help me. It, it hurts me, you know, and this disease is a disease of self-harm. This is like cutting or in the big book, it talks about the jaywalker that keeps going in the street and getting hit and going in the street and getting hit. For me, in order to come out of relapse, I had to be in extreme suffering. So I came in in 2006 because I was at the beach and I was at the beach like some of us are, I, I couldn't even move. Everybody's in the water and they're having a good time and they're doing all this stuff. And all I could think of is how big is my stomach and it's hanging over my, my legs. And all I could do was hate myself instead of enjoying the beach. So it drove me into OA. But when I was in OA, I, I couldn't, I couldn't surrender. I don't think for me, okay, this is just me. I don't think it's possible to surrender until you've hit a point of such pain and such desperation. That is unfortunately what happened, had to happen to me. My wish for you is you not have to go as, as dark as I did. You not have to go as low as I did, but I needed to really be the bottom of the barrel. Um, I went to Paris, vacation of a lifetime. I was seeing my best friends there and I told them what I wanted to eat. Notice I said, I told them what I wanted to eat, not what I wanted to see, not what museums I wanted to go to, not that I told them what I wanted to eat. And then I got back to my hotel room and it wasn't enough. So they had one of those little refrigerators and I opened it up and I just started taking stuff out and it wasn't a bad binge. Here's the great news. I had been in OA long enough at that point, about two years to know that there was possibly another way. And I had this tiny thought enter my mind, which was a third step. The next morning, I'm on my hands and knees in a hotel room in Paris, searching through the garbage can, trying to see how much I've eaten, counting how many crackers did I break my abstinence. And I got down on my knees and I had this moment where I went, what if I turned my life and my will over the care of God as I understood him, her, it? And I felt this incredible relief. And I couldn't understand why, but for the next two weeks in Paris, I was restless, irritable, discontented because I couldn't stand what I was putting in my body. OA had started to ruin. OA had started to ruin overeating for me. I got back to the United States. My dog had a serious illness, was rushed to the emergency room. I called my sponsor. She said, well, you haven't heard from you in three weeks. So I've moved on. You said you were going to work the third step. I've moved on. So my sponsor fired me. I was sitting at this desk in a bathrobe sobbing. I called a friend of mine in AA. He called a friend of his in AA. They said, we know somebody. 
call this person. I call this person. And she seemed like she was kind of in a bad mood. I found out later she was on her way to a meeting and she was in her closet trying to get dressed as fast as she could. And she was like, well, you know, do you come to this meeting, light a candle, which is 530 on Saturdays. It's a podcast. Actually, I just spoke there in, in Los Angeles. And I said, yeah. She said, where do you sit? I thought, where do I sit? I come in late. I sit in the back of the room. What do you mean? Where do I sit? She said, okay, come talk to me. I look like this. And I thought, oh no, oh no. It's that scary looking girl. So I came, I talked to her. She's been my sponsor ever since. She's been my sponsor for 15 years. Five days later, I got abstinent it, it, because I couldn't stand it anymore. My dog died the next day. I was abstinent when my dog died, laying with her in the hospital. Um, but that's what it took to get me abstinent. So my prayer for you and my hope for you is that you not have to go to that level of grief and um, lack of self-respect to, to get abstinent. But that's what I did. Do I, am I ashamed that it took me two years to get abstinent? Absolutely not. Every minute of that two years was valuable to me because I came into the rooms. I learned about OA. For me, the biggest thing that keeps me abstinent is my consistency and I am connected. I have nine sponsees. I can't go out. It would be really hard. I would have, if somebody didn't see me for a week or I would have, I don't even know how many people calling me. Hey, Lucy, what happened? I didn't see you at the meeting. Five minutes, Thank you. I didn't see you at the meeting. I didn't see you at the meeting. I didn't see you at the meeting. So for me, it's the consistency. If you're in relapse, if you're consistent, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Consistency is the medicine. It is the jackhammer to the cement that is this disease that tells us we're not worthy, we can never stop. You will, I believe, get abstinent. I came into these rooms thinking I was different. There was no way I could stop binging, no way. If you go to 30 meetings in 30 days, if you go to five meetings in a week, if you take commitments here, it doesn't have to be something fancy. Maybe it's a greeter, maybe it's a timer, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're a newcomer caller, you know, maybe all you can do is send a text. My sponsors say, I don't want to share. I said, how about this? Raise your hand. You go, hi, my name is Mary. Nice to meet you. That's it. That's it. Do anything. Take any action. There is hope in this room. How do I know that? Because I was without hope. I had no hope. I had been on a diet for 42 years. I had blow up pants to lose weight that you blowed up like a Michelin man with a, with a tire thing. I'd gone to a Turkish healer who told me to suck on sugar cubes and say three heal Marys. I'd been to a hypnotherapist who, where I chanted, I will only eat green tea. I had been a nutritionist that had Hollywood stars. What happened? He gave me diarrhea because he said only eat, you know, protein. And I, I mean, I'd paid $250 for supplements. I'd been to a dermatologist who said for $20,000, I'll cut your cellulite off. I had done everything, everything. I'd paid $6,000 to go to a gym where some guy took pictures of me half naked and I never went because he told me I had to go get colonics. It was disgusting. But here there is hope. Here's what you have to do, not leave. That's it. That's it. Just don't leave. That's it. Really, honestly, there's your key. 
and you know do what the program tells us to do that the the i think it was noel that or noel if that's how you say his name that that read the plan of action you call people how are you doing can be a one minute call you read the steps you work the steps my gosh darn sponsor is making me work step 10 again i'm going to call her up this morning and go do you realize i worked step 10 in the last year but believe me i'll be working step 10 again get to your meetings early my sponsor rips me a new one when i call her up with resentments she does i called her up with resentments on my birthday my natal birthday this year she said lucy you sound really sick well, I'm glad she sounded that, said that because it, I read it this morning. It's an axiom that if something, if something bothers us, it's our spiritual condition. And if I have a resentment, I will eat. That is a tautology, resentment, eat. Or resentment, forget what I'm eating. So I have no idea what I ate, you know? I mean, I'm crazy with food. Look, I brought a cup of coffee to this meeting this morning. I spilled it. Why? because I was worried I wouldn't have enough coffee on the meeting. So I've got it like over the edge here. I'm spilling out, you know, so God forbid I'd be without, they used to call me in meetings, two bottle Lucy. I would have a bottle here of water. I'd Sometimes I'd have three bottles. I have a bottle of coffee. I've got, you know, I've got everything laid out because I've got to be putting stuff in my mouth all the time. But this program, the Overeaters Anonymous, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions is a brilliant book read it, work those steps. It will work. It won't work tomorrow. Maybe look, I have sponsees who got sober, abstinent, their first meeting. It's not my story. It's not a, it's not my story, but they did. But if you do this hardcore long enough, if you reach out to people, it will work. It will work. Develop that relationship with a higher power. Maybe that's going to mass. For my husband, it's surfing, it's being on the ocean. For me, it's birds. Why? I don't know. I wake up in a crap mood. I go to the bathroom. I look outside and I've got a bird feeder right there. And I'm like, oh my God, thank you, God. Look at all these birds. I want to cry. I'm hating myself. I'm hating myself. But here's what I'm not doing. Looking at my fingers to see how bloated they are because of what I ate the night before. Going through the garbage to see what I ate the night before. I'm looking at the birds and I'm saying, God, I'm so mad at you right now because you're not with me, but you're right there in those birds. Those birds are so beautiful. Right now we have migrations in Los Angeles. And my husband and I, last Sunday, we just stood in these trees and we just watched these birds and we went, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I've had this very strange thing happen right now where I've had six weeks of massive anxiety early in the morning that wakes me up, which is crippling. And it's horrible. And I have no idea why, but this is a chance for me to go deeper with God. It's a chance for me to strip away and go, God, what can I do? What is it? What is it? You know, it's That's a chance for me to say, thank you. I can let go more of my craving for power and prestige, more of my craving for, I got to have this piece of jewelry. And I, I this person has to like me. I, I can say, God, I don't know why you're making me so anxious I can't sleep, but it forces me out of bed to do meditation because I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind. So I have to meditate. I have to exercise more. My nephew's got me using some kind of cold water treatment. So I go in the freezing cold ocean in January. I get out. But you know what? I feel better. It forces me to work my program. So everything we go through, you know, can be used. So... I just want to say welcome to OA. If you're relapsing, I feel your pain. We feel each other's pain in here. 
We feel each other's pain. This is not a disease where we, we go, oh, I have a little cold. It's not that. It's not that. This is a terminal disease. You know, there's people have said to me, well, it's not like AA, we're not going to die. Yeah, we are. I was dead. I was spiritually dead. You know, it's in Harry Potter, like a dementor. They had sucked my soul out. That disease, my, my eating had sucked my soul. I was gone. I wanted to die. That, there's nothing fun about that. I know people here who are killing themselves. I had a sponsee who came in at 88 pounds. I want to tell you guys, that girl's 118 now. And she's trying to get pregnant. It's a bloody miracle. It's a bloody miracle. You know, there are, there are people in LA all around me who weigh 300 pounds. They're 100 pounders. They came in at 400. That's, how does that happen? I don't know how that happens. You know, that's, that's incredible. People are destroying their lives, throwing up, you know, damaging their hearts with, with, with anorexia, with whatever they're doing. So um, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to be on an international meeting. I'm thrilled that we're a community of people bound, bound. It's our weakness that binds us together, not our strength, but together we find strength. So thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you for, for being in my community. Thank you for letting me know that wherever I go in the world, I will have you. I will be okay. So I look forward to hearing from you guys. And again, my apologies. Dog has to go to the vet. So I will be off the, the call in, in, uh, in 15 minutes. So thanks so much.